in March, I put the news on and uh, there was a little girl on a train with her mother uh, and her father was on the uh, on the platform. He put his hand on the train window and she put her hand on the train window and that was it. I was just, ah! Um, so I ran my daughters and I said, listen, I've had enough of this. I'm going. Ed Blackbird is the managing director of a windows and blinds company in Gateshead in the northeast of England. In March this year, he drove to Kiev with aid for the Ukrainian people. So came at the factory, put a, an appeal out and said, listen guys, look for some help. I'm desperate to get down to Ukraine with some uh, with some much needed aid. Anybody want to help? And within an hour, people were queuing up outside the factory in the showroom with not just money, we had clothes and food, aspirin, paracetamol, they, just, they were queuing up, it was just unbelievable. So um, borrowed a huge trailer and off I went with about £500,000 worth of aid. This Christmas, Ed is heading back to Kyiv with three of his colleagues. On December 20th, they will load up the trucks, take the ferry to Amsterdam, drive through Germany and Poland, and then down to Ukraine to arrive on Christmas Eve. And again, we've just been inundated with um, with cash. We've not done a subtotal yet, but it's well in excess of £20,000. Well in excess. We've ordered um, generators. Now, to date, um, we're up to somewhere like 36 or possibly 40. We've been inundated with uh, infant presents, children's presents, teenage presents, and mums and dads. Everything's been beautifully wrapped. We've had a, um, a young football team come uh, a couple of nights ago and wrapped. Um, if I said a couple of hundred, that would be wrong. It would be a couple of thousand presents that were taken down there for, for families. It's just, it's wonderful. It really is beautiful. The whole community of Gateshead came together, even those who didn't have much to give themselves. This beautiful old lady came into the showroom. She was in her 80s and um, she was she was holding two chocolate bars and she said, are you the guy going to Ukraine for Christmas? And I said, yes, I am. She said, I've not got a lot of money, but I would love if you could take these two chocolate bars to Ukraine and give them to somebody for Christmas. And I was like, my God, <laughs> you know, got, got, got quite upset with that. And she said, I'm going to do the same thing next week. I've not got a lot of money. I want to get my groceries in and I want to buy another two chocolate bars. So she came back again. So I'm taking four chocolate bars from the Northeast, from this beautiful lady to Ukraine. Another guy came in. He was he was in his 70s and he, he brought a, a brand new little jacket. Looked about maybe it's a six-year-old jacket. He says, if I thought my grandchild was cold, I couldn't live with myself. So will you take that jacket down and give it to a little girl? And he says, I'll give you the receipt just in case she doesn't like it. <laughs> God bless him. For many Ukrainians, holiday celebrations will look different this year. Some are in foreign countries, separated from friends and family. Some will have an empty seat at the dinner table. Christmas lights will be a little dimmer. From Message Heard and the Cave Independent, you're listening to Power Lines, from Ukraine to the world. In this bonus episode, we wanted to use this time of reflection to catch up with some of our Ukrainian guests throughout the series. Nastya, it almost feels incredible, but we are both at home for Christmas time. Yeah, it's shocking. Neither of us have really been at home much during these recordings. We've recorded from DC, Thailand, various places in Poland. But yeah, I just arrived home roughly a week ago and I'm here for a bit over a month and it's 
lovely and I don't even go to Kyiv. I live on the outskirts. So I'm just literally staying in my room, <laughs> in our living room, not exiting the place because I missed everything so much. I just got home uh, about a week ago. I came back from Ukraine and it has been just such a joy to spend time with family in a very freezing uh, London, but still, still, it's, uh, it, it's, it's nice to be back. Nasta, how are you feeling now that you're, you have a chance to be back with family? Do you have any particular Christmas traditions? This is, yeah, this is a really interesting discussion, actually, because my family, we never really celebrated Christmas. And then there's this whole thing that Ukraine kind of has two Christmases. Well, I, okay, can you explain how it is that we have two different Christmas dates? So for our listeners, the majority of Ukrainians have always celebrated Christmas on January 6th to 7th. So how how is that? Why is that? And actually, it's not just Christmas. It's also about New Year. So basically, the difference comes down to two different types of calendars. In the West, we use the Gregorian calendar. In the East, people use the Julian calendar, which doesn't have the quarter day for leap years. Um, so over time, over the centuries, there's about two weeks of difference between the two. Yeah. Um, so... We mainly celebrated New Year's, and I think this was the case for the majority of Ukrainians. This may sound weird for our listeners, but this also has a lot to do with, you know, the Soviet legacy that Ukraine has, because the Soviet government repressed our Christmas for decades and emphasized the importance of New Year instead and created a lot of Soviet traditions on New Year's. You know, the songs that people would sing on New Year's, the costumes, our kind of Soviet Santa Claus, we call him Ded Maroz, all of that was really connected with like the Soviet propaganda. And Christmas, because it was a religious holiday, we couldn't really celebrate it because, of course, the Soviets repressed the church in general. They were very anti-religious. They killed a lot of bishops, etc. They closed down churches, they burned them down. And obviously, religious holidays were a part of this wave of repression. So I've heard stories from people who lived in Western Ukraine Okay, speaking of family, Jakub, your daughter just walked in. Okay, Malanka, say hello. Say hello. She's waving, but she's not saying hello. Say hello. <laughs> <laughs> this is the cutest child I have ever seen, Jakub. Yes. Uh-oh, and she's so happy. Oh, oh. Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> okay, Malanka, thank you so much for that contribution. You, you can leave now. Oh, God, forget everything I was saying about the church and the Soviets. This is prime content. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, religious holidays were a part of this wave of oppression. And I've heard stories from people who lived in Western Ukraine about how it was so tough on Christmas that Ukrainians during the Soviet era had to close down all the blinds because you need to light up candles during Christmas. And they had to do this like in secret so nobody sees them because Soviet like NKVD soldiers and like the Soviet police would walk around on this date checking for people who still follow the Ukrainian traditional kind of religious holidays. And so apparently the next morning after families celebrated Christmas, kids could tell what other children are part of the local traditional Ukrainian community because their fingers smelled like wax. Because you could tell that, you know, last night they were secretly celebrating Christmas. Oh, wow. It's so sad and tragic, but there's also so much magic in this because 
you know, you cannot take our Christmas away from us. So for when I learned about all of this, I understood that New Year's actually has very little to do with us as Ukrainians. Just a year ago, I celebrated New Year's with my family. We did all of the dishes that are traditionally Russian without really realizing that they are as such. It's just that Ukraine has has had to like take that in and appropriate that because of the Soviet legacy. It just came naturally. So that's how I remember holidays for myself. But then we're not celebrating New Year's this year for the first time in my life. We're going to be celebrating Christmas. And I learned and, and like read up on all of the Ukrainian Christmas dishes and I'm going to try to make all of them and it's going to be a whole thing. So we're going full Ukrainianness this year. Okay, Jakub, tell me about your family. Are you going to have some sort of traditional Ukrainian celebration or? On my wife's side, it's more for them because they're very not religious, I would say. It's more about making New Year's your own. Right. So a couple of years ago, you'd start by actually celebrating New Year's on Moscow time. Yeah. Right. Like first you had to, you'd watch Putin say something or, you know, whoever the president was. But for the last two decades, it was Putin. Um, <laughs> and then you'd watch our president. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then you'd celebrate New Year's on all the different time zones. So given that we're a little bit all over the place, we'd usually watch First Putin, then Ukraine, then Poland, uh, slash France, and then finally UK. That is so fascinating. But I think now we're making it more and more our own. And, you know, this year um, th there wasn't even a consideration to celebrate it on Moscow time. Um, we did, however, think about potentially adding Tbilisi time. <laughs> Just out of uh, solidarity? <laughs> exactly. Out of solidarity for the Georgians. We usually say, beginning in Kiev and following the roads out wherever they may lead. But in this episode, it seems a lot of roads lead back to Kiev. Our first returning guest has also traveled back to Ukraine. Edward Rees is a queer activist. We spoke to him about Kiev Pride in the Europe episode. Back then, he was living in Denmark after a summer of organizing Pride events around Europe. But in October, he came back to Kiev. So we asked him about his plans for the holidays. I am not a Christian, so I celebrate Yuletide starting from 21st and up till the New Year's Eve. I will be going to different parties if uh, we have some here and I will be cooking some delicious food. I really hope that I will be able to do some gingerbread cookies because I love them very much. It's like one of my personal favorite on the holiday season. And I will be going to uh, the place where is uh, like a big Christmas tree, which is also very symbolic. This year we have a Christmas tree in cave, but it's much less bright than before because like we have to save energy and uh, it was paid not by the city as usual, but it was paid by donators, businesses and so on. So it's like more just a symbol that New Year is coming, not like a big celebration. We will not have Christmas village, for example. We have it always, but not this year. I would love to travel when the war is over and I have a little dream uh, to spend uh, Christmas and Christmas time in Stockholm because I love the city and I could do it this year. But it's not the story because when the war in my country, I just 
can't feel all this Christmas mood and festive mood and so on. So I decided that like when the war is over, when we defeat Russia, uh, I will definitely go and celebrate some Christmas time in Sweden. We also caught up with Alona Zhuk, who we spoke to in our episode about Ukraine's history. She's a Ukrainian tattoo artist and illustrator who left for Berlin at the start of the full-scale invasion back in February. I'm getting adjusted in a way of now knowing where I can buy groceries that I need and how I navigate the routes in between home and work and the school for my kid. Uh, Also, she started school and... She started her integration process, I think. She's learning two languages now, German and English. And it's been kind of difficult, but I hear from her and from her teachers that she's doing okay and she's quite motivated and catching everything quickly. And it's stressful, but I think we're coping. Her German residency documents haven't yet been finalized, so she can't return home for the holidays this year. Honestly, I don't have any... Christmassy, New Year-y, celebratory mood this year, I think for the first time in my life, actually, because usually this season is one of my favorites and I enjoy snow and the decorations and the smells and the tastes and the sounds of New Year's. So we will be here in Berlin and I know that my kid, she is very excited about New Year's and Christmas time, especially about the like European Christmas, because she's going to school with German kids. So they are talking about these traditions and she wants that. She wants the Christmas tree early and celebrate everything as well as they do. And I know that I will have to kind of provide this Christmas New Year stuff for her because the entire point of me taking her out of Ukraine was for her to have childhood, for her to be able to be happy, even though those awful things are still happening. She knows that, but still she is a child. So I will, like, we will do Christmas tree. I'm taking vacation for this season and we will plan some celebratory activity for every day of her vacation. Like we will decorate the tree, we will cook the cookies, we will cut out paper snowflakes, we will go to the Christmas markets, we will eat something there, we will try to enjoy it as much as it's possible now. But of course, I think the closer the new year, the more I will miss the the idea of spending new year as I would do it if I would be able to go to visit my parents and to be with them. Um, living so far from home, not having my home, not being able to see my parents and my friends and to not be able to have my routine. So I think, I mean, the, the idea of New Year is kind of lost for me, I think, because the only the only thing that I think all of us wish for the New Year this year is that the New Year will bring the victory that we are fighting for. I think all of us wish that every day, so that will not be much of a difference for us. And of course, integrating into a whole new country with new Christmas traditions isn't always seamless. We had a huge drama situation when um, I picked her up from school and we were going home. And she told me, you know, tomorrow is St. Nikolaus Day. 
And I was like, oh my God, no, I did not. And she was like, yeah, so every kid in my class will receive some like sweets and gifts tomorrow morning. Uh, so I should put up my shoes because obviously they do that. And it was late and I was tired and it was cold. And I realized that I, probably I should have known, but I didn't follow and I didn't know that it's tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, but Ukrainian Nikolaus, who is Mikola, he will come on December 19th. And she will be like, yeah, but everyone else tomorrow will get something and I should wait until December 19th. And I'm like, well, yeah, because he's Ukrainian. He will come to all Ukrainian kids, so you should wait. And I explained to her that Mikolai was not prepared for tomorrow, so we will just wait. But the next day to kind of support her, I took her to the store and we picked out some like chocolates for her from St. Nikolaus as an um, apology from me. I realize now that I need to follow better the what traditions are here so that she doesn't miss out on all of that because her friends now are getting that and she needs to be also a part of it. Look, it's very sad to not be able to come home for Christmas. What did cheer me up a little bit is that because there are so many Ukrainian families spread out all across Europe, mm -hmm. they are also contributing to everyone else's uh, Christmas. Oh, and that's interesting. Them sharing a bit of Ukraine is also something that will bring Ukraine closer to Europe mm -hmm. and people will become more aware of it. The, the ties will grow out of that. Yeah, I think this kind of cultural exchange that's happening is... I guess one of the few positives that we somehow end up having out of this tragedy is that Elisa is going to go back to her school and she's going to take in all of the German culture traditions, but she's also probably going to share some of her own. She's probably going to go and talk about how her Ukrainian Mikola, you know, our St. Nicholas is coming at a different date because he's a bit late and, you know, there's a war in Ukraine, so he's got a lot to do and, you know, that kind of stuff. But it, it's also interesting, though, for me to notice how quickly the kids adapt, like how quickly they adjust to this whole new reality and the parents having to navigate that as well. Because if I had to move to Berlin right now because of the war, I would not, it wouldn't affect me, you know, if I was given a present two weeks late because I know what my traditions are and I follow them. But for the kids who don't really have that sense of Ukrainian identity yet, they're a bit lost and they're just trying to take in whatever is around them. And, and the parents have to navigate that now with so many of the Ukrainian children being abroad in Europe and dealing with all of these new things. It's fascinating. And what about the diaspora? Because both of us know that they're always pretty extra with everything that they do that's Ukrainian, especially celebrations. Well, the, yeah, the, the Ukrainian identity definitely burns strong. I got in touch with Andrea Chalupa, who you'll remember we spoke to in our very first episode about Ukrainian identity. She's a Ukrainian-American journalist, author, and podcast host uh, who grew up in Davis, California, in a very Ukrainian-American family. Hello, everyone. It's Andrea Chalupa, the writer and producer of Mr. Jones and co-host of the podcast Gaslit Nation. I'm wishing you all, wherever you are in the world, a very happy holiday season of peace, love, joy and light. I'm going to be celebrating with my loved ones, my family and friends, not 
one, but two Christmases. I'll be doing the traditional 12 dishes that represent the 12 disciples of Christ. They are vegetarian dishes, starting with kucha, holopsi, stuffed cabbage, and vareniki, and all of it going, going down the list. And um, we're doing this on December 24th, Christmas Eve, and then again on January 6th, Orthodox Christmas Eve. Why? Because that's just <laughs> what we do. We're very lucky being a Ukrainian family and a mixed Ukrainian family. My, my dad's family is from West Ukraine. My mom's family is from Donbass and East Ukraine. So we've got a big mix of these Christmas traditions. And so both Christmases are celebrated mostly December 24th and 25th. But we always recognize Orthodox Christmas as, as a special time as well. And we always, uh, you know, growing up would leave an empty plate at the table to acknowledge our ancestors and that they're always going to be with us and that when it's our turn to go home to the great big star in the sky we will be with our descendants at the table with them every christmas and so it's a joyful reminder that life is eternal love is eternal and that we are all one big beautiful cosmic family always and forever thank you and and happy holidays to you and yours so listening to Andrea actually reminded me a lot about the Polish diaspora that I kind of grew up in. So at least a couple of times a month or at least once a month, there'd be a gathering of the Polish diaspora wherever we were, right? Whether it was Australia, France, the US, Germany. And those would almost always be after mass next mm-hmm. to the church where you would have some Polish food. And sort of the diaspora organization and the church organization, they were kind of almost inseparable. Mm-hmm. and. People would come there and they would hold on to these traditions. And because of that, you really had to hold them strong, right? Mm -hmm. Because you were the carrier of your culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what diaspora living meant for me. I also think it's gratitude and the fact that people who don't actually live in Ukraine don't take these traditions for granted because they don't have the experience of just sitting in Kyiv at one of our amazing coffee shops, listening to Ukrainian in the background, just like having the typical Ukrainian living in Ukraine experience. So cherishing the traditions is all they have, right? It's it's all the Ukrainian-ness that you can get. It's It's the only way how you can feel Ukrainian, especially because many of them, unfortunately, don't end up speaking Ukrainian because it's quite difficult to sustain that language if you live in the U.S. where nobody uses it, for example. So, yeah, I think I think the diaspora is always so extra because this is their only avenue. To sum up, we want to end on some notes of hope for the new year. I just hope that 2023 will bring victory and Ukrainians from all over will be able to come back home and continue celebrating our holidays and pursuing our traditions and being with our families. I think that uh, every Ukrainian has one Christmas resolution right now for Russians just to leave our country for good and stay out of Ukraine forever. Uh, I would like to remind uh, everyone who is listening that the war is not over. 
that Ukrainians are still fighting. And uh, while you celebrate Christmas and New Year and Hanukkah and everything, there will still be Ukrainian soldiers on the front line fighting for the freedom of the whole Europe and dying for it. So when you are buying your presents or getting the festive food and so on, please continue talking about Ukraine, donating to Ukrainian organizations like Cave Pride and others, because we are still here, we are still fighting, and the freedom and uh, the holidays in the whole Europe still depends on Ukraine. Thank you so much for listening to Powerlines. We'll see you next week for our regular episode where we'll be speaking to Andy Greenberg about cyber warfare. Powerlines is a partnership between the Kyiv Independent and Message Heard. It was produced by B. Duncan, Harry Stott, and Talia Augustidis. The executive producer is Sandra Ferrari. The theme music is by Tom Biddle and Alfie Godfrey. 